Hi, this is Lee Merriweather, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential, radio talk show about television. Carolyn Hennessy will join us in our second hour. Carolyn Hennessy, the Emmy Award-winning actress who plays Diane Miller on General Hospital. Carolyn's 500th episode playing Diane Miller aired just before the Christmas holidays on General Hospital. We'll talk to Carolyn about that and more when she joins us in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, by now, I am sure that all of you listening this week are aware of the passing of Don Wells just after Christmas. Don Wells, of course, the actress known around the world as Marianne on Gilligan's Island. We are putting together a formal tribute to Don Wells that will air next week on TV Confidential. We hope you join us for that. In the meantime, Don Wells was not the only TV icon that we lost over the holidays, we also lost William Link two days after Christmas. William Link, the Emmy Award winning co-creator, along with Richard Levinson of Columbo, Mannix, Ellery Queen, Murder, She Wrote, and other TV series and made for TV movies. William Link also wrote a collection of original Columbo short stories that was published over the past decade, while he and Dick Levinson also wrote several books together, one of which was called Stay Tuned. William Link passed away Sunday, December 27th at the age of 87. We were fortunate to talk to Bill Link on three occasions on TV Confidential, one of which was in July 2011, a few weeks after the death of Bill's dear friend, Peter Falk. We will play that conversation for you as part of our program this week. In the meantime, we will begin this week's show by playing part two of a conversation that began on our last program with longtime television writer and producer, Paul Robert Coyle. Paul's credits include The Streets of San Francisco, Barnaby Jones, Simon and Simon, Jake and the Fat Man, Crazy Like a Fox, Xena Warrior Princess, Stephen King's The Dead Zone, and Hercules The Incredible Journeys. Paul's memoir, Swords, Starships, and Superheroes, is the story of how a young boy from Providence, Rhode Island, not only decided when he was 14 years old that he wanted to write for television, but embarked on that journey when he was 18 years old and overcame several obstacles before making his first sale at age 23 and remaining one of the most reliable writers in television ever since. You'll recall that last week we talked to Paul about his experience with Quinn Martin Productions, including working with producer Phil Saltzman on Barnaby Jones. We'll talk some more about Philip Saltzman in just a second. But first, swords, starships, and superheroes from Star Trek to Xena to Hercules, a TV writer's life scripting the stories of superheroes by Paul Robert Coyle, available in paperback and as an ebook through Jacobs Brown Media Group as well as Amazon.com. I love your description of Philip Saltzman. I only met him the one time. No, no. No, in fact, no. I never met him in person. I talked to him, I think, twice. I, I talked to him twice on the telephone when I did my Fugitive book. It was one of those things, when I look back at it now, I wish I knew as much as I do now when I did talk to him. But anyway, I'm very, I'm very appreciative for the opportunity. But here's the thing, and you, you pretty much confirmed this in your description, but talk to him over the phone, he seemed like a very laid-back, very thoughtful guy, but a very kind of laid-back, quiet guy whose brain was always ticking. Low key, yeah, yeah. Not uh, not overly enthusiastic, or you know, some guys, some writers you work with, they're, well, they'll they'll listen quietly to your pitch, and then once they launch, they're they're nonstop, they're hyper, you know. Mm-hmm. That didn't that certainly was not Phil, and it didn't fit the description of most of the producers that I worked with in those days. No, he was a gentleman, and of course, he had written for The Fugitive, my all-time favorite show, mm-hmm. so I was 
very impressed with him. I don't think I was kissing up to these guys, but I was a genuine fan of, of their work. Uh, when I would meet them, I would be very enthusiastic about what they had done. Maybe they were kind of surprised because they weren't used to people referencing their credits from 10 years earlier. No, I was, I was just uh, honored to be in the presence of some of these guys. And They're I, all guys, of course. In those days, now a producer would be a man or woman or any gender or whatever. But in those days, that's the way it was. Producers were white guys in their early 50s. Yes. Uh, when I say guys, I don't, that's, that's the way it was now. I'm not... <laughs> no, no, no. Yes, no. Yes, in night in nineteen seventy five, at least with you know the Quinn Martin production, most of the writers were male. Now they kind of, they would hire some. There were some women uh, freelance writers. Yeah. Dorothy Fontana wrote for Streets, and there were a few others. Certainly, no directors. Unfortunately, <laughs> no such thing as a woman director. Whoever did a Quinn Martin show, with the exception, I think a, a woman director did a couple. Man called Sloan's. Because she was Bob Conrad's girlfriend at the time. That yeah. was the story I heard anyway. Ida, Ida Lupino, if I remember correctly, she did a few of the early fugitives, but I believe she was the only no, female. No, to... no, well, Ida Lupino, the actress. Yeah. I'm sorry, she did do some fugitives, but yeah. there was another person who did a man called Sloan. Um, yeah, no, Ida Lupino did not direct Sloan, but she directed a few of the early fugitives. But she's the only female director of Quinn Martin that I know of. Yeah, me too. Um, and, uh, a few women uh, that were, yeah, you didn't tend to encounter anything other than 50-year-old white male guys behind the desk in those days. Yeah. Uh, let's see. One of the fun things I learned through reading Swords, Starships, and Superheroes is an inspiration kind of, sort of, early on. In in your career, was a man named Edward Laxo. Now you never you never met Ed Laxo, as I no. understand. But because you saw his name so often, that was one of the things that triggered you. Maybe I could do this. Yeah, I saw. You know, I watch all these TV shows: I Spy, Mission Impossible, Mod Squad, and so forth. And a lot of times, it's written by Edward J. Laxo, L-A-K-S-O. Or story by Edward J. Laxo, Star Trek, you know, or teleplay by him. I and mean, I'm like, who's this? And he's jumping from one show to the other, sometimes two shows in a given week, a different series, you know. That's what, and then I'd notice other names too, but his, you'd see his name all the time, or I would anyway, because he was writing for my favorite shows. And I'm, who's this guy? I know who he was personally, and, and his shows were not necessarily better than any other writer's shows, but... That made me realize, you know, whoever this guy is, you can make a living writing these different shows, jumping from one to, to the other. So that was around the same time I started writing my own specs. Laxo, I mean, he passed away years ago now, and our paths never did cross. Uh, he did some of the Aaron Spelling shows and so forth. But I have to thank, <laughs> I have to say thanks to Mr. Laxo for doing what he was doing and uh, doing so much of it that his name jumped out. Describe the thrill of seeing words you had written performed by Robert Reed and other actors for the very first time. Oh, well, what can I say? I would call him older Michael Douglas, right? Right off the bat. Robert Reed was a guest star in that episode, along with Lyndon Childs, Shelley Novak. So um, I, I met Reed later. I didn't meet Reed during that period, but I got to meet him a few times later on. And, uh, Get started crazy like a fox where I was story editor. So I went down to the set and introduced myself. And I said, Oh, thing, you know, you just started my uh, streets of San Francisco. And uh, oh, yeah, it was always, uh, and then we, all right, so that was, uh, 
I, I wasn't in person seeing them, but then on the set of Barnaby, I would be there in person. So I'd be behind the camera while they're, and, and then I learned, you know, with, with actors, uh, the age of Buddy Ebsen or later Jack Warden, I tended to write for a lot of older actors at the time. It helps to give them as few words as possible. You know, Buddy was getting tongue-tied, or I gave him one monologue at one point with some technical jargon in the middle of it, or people's names, that really throws an actor off. They'll have them lines memorized, but then when it comes to, and then, uh, you know, Nancy did such and such, they'll they'll go up on Nancy. They'll have to, what was her name again? All right, so you learn from being there in person. At one point in Long Beach, we had a, a setup with Buddy in the middle of it and surrounded by, must have been seven or eight other actors all of whom had a few lines, and then Buddy has a monologue in the middle, and then the other actors go on. Well, it he, he was start and stop, start and stop, because Buddy wasn't getting it. And he, some actors later, like like Bill Conrad, used cue cards, so they never <laughs> went up on their lines. But you learn from Barnaby. Like, I remember in the office with Phil, we were discussing one of the scenes I had written, and I had a character speaking, uh, you know, the technical stuff about scuba diving or, or about treasure hunters, you know, looking for, going after treasure, and... And then Buddy's, Buddy's line is, it's called greed. And then the other guy continues talking. And Phil said, that is the perfect line for Buddy. It's pithy, you know, that, write more of that for Barnaby, you know. It doesn't have to go out of his way to memorize technical terms or, or names. So from that point on, I think I learned to spread the dialogue out and not dump it all on the 70-year-old uh, star. And you, you also learned with... In the case of Jack Warden, Warden liked to ad lib. And so if he came up with something in the moment that worked for that scene, you learned to hang with that. Sure. Yeah, a lot of actors like to ad lib. But, uh, you know, worst comes to worst, you can cut that out in the editing room. If mm-hmm. it doesn't work, Jack was a, a veteran actor, both comedy and drama. So you're going to give him some leeway, you know. Other shows at the time uh, were uh, Stephen Bochco shows or whatever. You wouldn't allow the writers to say anything other than the spoken word. And if they wanted to, it would call for a set visit from the executive producer. But in shows like Barney, we were loose. Things were looser in that time period. And um, Jack, uh, in the particular instance, uh, there was a hospital scene one day, and um, the nurse wheels a cart by, and it has some breakfast food on it and he he had lived something about jello oh that's really nice looking jello and he does it to distract some character who's trying to do something behind their back so the character looks at the cart full of jello well, cbs hit the roof because jello is a brand name and they they never would have authorized that line in writing in the script all right but it it hadn't been scripted jack had lived it so they wanted to cut or at least dubbed to gelatin or something generic you know which cut the, the laugh line, which, yeah. you know, wasn't funny. All right. So, but the producers in that case stood up and the back to Jack and that Jell-O reference stayed in the show. So um, a lot of actors, you see, <laughs> they think they're, oh, they think the ad-libs are the greatest. You know, sometimes the ad-libs are great and uh, they stay in. But if they don't work, sometimes they have to be cut for various reasons or maybe humor isn't necessarily called for if you're standing over a, a corpse in the morgue and, uh, you know, so there's a time and place for everything. But, you know, I've never been so sensitive that I, I don't care if they change a the line here or there as long as the, the plot does isn't affected, you know. You have to be loose. But nowadays, producers want every line, or they want the writer on the set 
in the case of NCIS or something, if, if a line is, if the actor wants to make a line, so now you're, you're called in to do on-the-spot rewriting? That uh, I've never experienced, but that's kind of the way it works now. Instead of, instead of an actor changing something on their own, you do it in conference with a writer or producer who's, who's on the set at that given moment. That's a different way of working, but seems to work out for these shows. But to answer your question about ad-libs, Jack Warden was, was great. John Rubenstein kind of stuck more closely to the script, I would say, because he was a theater-trained uh, actor. And plus, he was a musical composer, which is a different type of writing. But it sounds like just reading about uh, your experience with Rubenstein in uh, Sword, Starships, and Superheroes, that he sort of had a built-in respect for what you did as the writer. And so he was more willing to go with the page. Well, I would, Jack had the respect also, I would yeah. say. But yeah. he was a different generation. Yeah. You know? He was looser. What can I say? Yeah. He was a looser, looser guy, and John was maybe a more stage-trained, uh, stage-oriented kind of guy. They, well, they meshed. That's what made them a great uh, partner on screen, I think. They complimented each other, and uh, sometimes they drove each other crazy in real life, but that happens. What, what I loved about Rubenstein's character in Crazy Like a Fox, Paul, is that up to that point, John Rubenstein pretty much played every sort of mentally disturbed uh. I mean, throughout the 70s and TV movies and guest stars, I mean, he sort of played this loose cannon. And it was it gave him an opportunity to be not only the straight man to Jack Warden, but he, he, he excelled in that role. And he was very funny. He was very funny. You know, he played a lot of villains in those days or a lot of uh, shows like Cannon and Barnaby. He'd be the Manson uh, type of cult yeah. uh, member or the crazy guy. Yeah. Uh, and of course, on stage, he came from Children of a Lesser God, and I think he in New York, and then so forth. So he was straight laced. His character was straight laced. So let me tell you, I'm crazy like a fox. I joined the show in the second season. I came as in a story editor, so I wasn't there the first year. The pilot for Crazy Like a Fox was was going to be Jack Warden and Bo Bridges. All right, for whatever reason, and they had Bo Bridges' chair printed up with his name on it. Uh, his director's chair to sit in on set. Days before shooting, for whatever reason, Bo Bridges pulled out, and John Runestown was a last-minute replacement. Uh, so that worked out pretty. I'm sure Bo Bridges would have been interesting, but I don't, I don't think he would have contrasted that uh, dramatically with Jack Ward. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking aloud. I I did not know about that, but to me, Jack was laid back. Bo Bridges, I think, I think of as a laid back type of actor whereas john yeah, was too, yeah too similar yeah maybe they would have you would have bought them as father and son but i thought it wouldn't the dynamic i think would have been different and not necessarily as interesting as it became with uh jack and john i have one more crazy like a fox question sure. and then uh and, and then we'll shift gears folks but paul robert coyle's memoir sword starships and superheroes from star trek to xena and hercules the story of right of, of paul's life in a career as a writer, producer, and story editor for television, behind-the-scenes stories of such shows as Crazy Like a Fox, Streets of San Francisco, Xena, Warrior Princess, Hercules, The Incredible Journeys, available through Jacobs Brown Media Group, Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Uh, the first Crazy Like a Fox that you wrote uh, was the one with Pat... Harrington, he played a radio helicopter traffic reporter. Right. 
and again, this goes back to one of the things that any good writer should do, but you started doing when you were 14 years old, which is doing the research, learning everything you can about the type of characters and the type of stories you're going to tell. You did some field experience with actual um, helicopter reporters in, in preparation for that show, didn't you? Well, I did, yeah. I mean, if, first of all, I pitched and sold a story about an air traffic reporter in San Francisco. We, we shot up in San Francisco. So very visual, obviously. So, uh, all right, so then I said, well, I, I guess I to research this, i got to go up in a helicopter. And uh, so I had a friend who happened to be, you know, in radio, and she uh, had come from San Francisco, and so she recommended, she put me in touch with a... Um, a traffic guy up in San Francisco, a helicopter traffic guy. Do so re- I flew with him for two hours one morning. Do you remember and which one? Back, you know, I'm sorry, I can't. No, he's he's deceased now. I, I don't remember yeah. his name. Yeah, because growing up in San Francisco, there were there were two that I listened to. One was Lynn Derling on KGO. That's traffic reporter number one, and the other was Hap Harper from KSFO, uh, and they were like legends. No, I, no, I, I don't think either one of those is, was the right guy. Okay, all right. Um, this was in the mid-70s. Okay. This was in 76, right. So, um, all right, so I did that in San Francisco. I got very nauseous, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't prepare. I didn't know what to, you know, I wasn't used to being up in a helicopter swooping. And I learned that you can't tell what the hell, what's, you know, unless you're experienced, What that's ribbon of freeway over there. How do you know what? But he knew, yeah. the traffic reporter, who was, I think he was both the pilot and the reporter. Yeah. He was doing it all himself. And he'd be reporting over there, down here on the 101 at the, uh, the the soft ramp over here. And I put that into the show, I played, because the premise is that Jack is flying with his buddy who's a reporter, and Jack is asked to, to report on things. And so he gets all tongue-tied. He does, you know, he's telling the, giving out the wrong information because he's getting the freeways all mixed up. And separately, I also flew for two hours in, in over Los Angeles, just again to back up that experience of flying and learning what it's like to be sitting sitting in the passenger seat of a helicopter under those circumstances. They didn't ask me to do that. I didn't really need to do that. And also, when I was up in San Francisco, I remember sitting in a hotel room with a transistor radio and listening to all these traffic reports and writing down the specific names of the the freeways and the streets and the you know the circumstances of the oil spill over here and uh, the number one lane is uh, all backed up and and uh, so forth. So I spent hours doing that, transcribing these notes, and then in turn, a lot of those made it into the, into the script. So the script is authentic in the sense that these were real traffic circumstances that yeah. had happened in San Francisco. Yeah, and you use the word authentic. That's a big word. That's a big word for me and. I would venture to say, Paul, that because you went the extra mile, and and not only for Crazy Like a Fox, but virtually every show that you wrote for, you know, that's what sets you apart from a lot of other writers. Is that it's that realism, it's, it's that authenticity, and that's one of the reasons why you never stopped working for forty years. Well, I like to think that it's the, the whether I had done that or not, they liked my writing when I wrote that script. Whether it was authentic or not, you know, it was funny and uh, it worked on the page. So, um, so well, what, what, whatever, up, whatever it takes I for you. Okay, let me let me try let me try this. I'm trying to compliment you, Paul. You know, but uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it takes for you to get it authentic and the way you want it, and ultimately so that it serves the purposes as you as the writer and serves the purpose of 
the producer and the show. Whatever it takes for you to get there, that's what you do, whether it's whether it's use your imagination or spend a couple hours in a helicopter and down a couple of dramamine. Yes, the dramamine <laughs> is very important. Between the first uh, helicopter and the second one, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, that, that's a lesson I learned. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, the point was I did. I liked doing all that kind of research. Yeah. When I did the chips, uh, the, my first chips, uh, I went up to Northern California and drove with Bob Bondurant, who's mm-hmm. a famous race driver. He had his own speedway where mm-hmm. he taught evasive driving techniques. They didn't pay me to do that. They didn't reimburse me to do it. But I just wanted something I felt I needed to do for the sake of the story and the script that I was working yeah. on. Paul Robert Coyle's memoir is Sword, Starships, and Superheroes from Star Trek to Xena to Hercules, a TV writer's life scripting the stories of heroes. We'll talk some more with Paul Robert Coyle when we come back here on TV Confidential. Story Salon is Los Angeles' longest-running storytelling venue. We have live shows every Wednesday in Studio City, as well as solo shows, podcasts, CDs, and several books. Los Angeles Daily News calls Story Salon Gemstones of Narrative. Something new, funny, astonishing. Sunset Magazine says, Tales tall, tragic, and tantalizing. All of this makes Story Salon one of the most eclectic entertainment experiences available. You can learn more about us by going to our Facebook page or by visiting our website at www.storysalon.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.